Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verses 11 through 28. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. If you're using uh, one of the blue uh, Bibles in the pew, you will find uh, these verses beginning on page 1004. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. This is the very word of God. Now, if perfection attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father, as we come before you this morning, we come humbly asking for your grace, asking that the same spirit who inspired the author to write these words would now be at work among us, opening our minds and our hearts to receive your truth and strengthening our wills that we might bring forth its fruit in our lives. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking to another pastor earlier this week, uh, and we were discussing what we were currently preaching, and I told him that I would again be in Hebrews chapter 
7 this morning. And as we spoke about it, I jokingly, or maybe not so jokingly, said to him, this might be my least favorite chapter in all of the Bible. We talk about our favorite verses all the time because those are the verses that really resonate with our soul. And when we came to uh, decide that we were going to preach through the book of Hebrews, as Sam and I were discussing that, I, I knew that preaching through Hebrews would require me to address some of the difficulties in chapter 6 and some of the difficulties in, in chapter 10. And I knew that that would be a challenge, but what but I really feared was chapter 7 because I don't get it. I don't really understand the significance of Melchizedek. Earlier in chapter 5, and then again in, in chapter 6, the, the author has, has pointed us to Jesus as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he has ascribed to that identification great significance. In fact, he says that it is something that makes all the difference in the world. And yet, for us as modern readers, I suspect I'm not the only one who is a bit mystified by the reference. When we read through a chapter like Hebrews 7, we are left wondering why it is important, why it is even helpful to see Jesus as a priest like Melchizedek. Of course, that is the question that he is answering here in the second half of, of chapter 7. In the first half of the chapter, he, he showed us that Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek and that Melchizedek was a great priest. He showed us, in fact, that, that Melchizedek was a greater priest than even the Levitical priest. We, we know this because he received tithes from Abraham and gave his blessing to Abraham. And he did this while Abraham was still in his loins, so to speak, or while Levi was still in his loins, so to speak. And so, so Melchizedek not only is greater than Abraham, but he is greater than the Levitical priest that comes out of Abraham's family. But even seeing the greatness of Melchizedek, we're still left wondering, why? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Melchizedek was was great. And why does it matter that, that Jesus is like Melchizedek? As I've wrestled with that question over the course of the last few weeks, I think that we can boil it down to, to this answer. It is important to see Jesus as a priest like Melchizedek because we need a better priest than the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests are simply not sufficient. And why they're not sufficient, why they're not enough, is, is summed up for us there in the very first verse that I read this morning, there in verse 11. Look again at what the author writes. We, we looked at this verse briefly last Sunday, but, but look again. He says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law... What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? And so what, what the author is wanting us to see, the reason that he thinks it is so important that we see Jesus as a priest like Melchizedek is because he understands the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. It's not just that their time is up, it's that even in their time, they could not do what needed to be done. The Levitical priests were insufficient. 
And we need a better priest. We need a priest like Melchizedek. We need a priest who is free from the law. And really, that's the weakness of the Levitical priests. Notice, he says, the Levitical priesthood was intimately connected to the law. It was under the the Levitical priesthood that the people received the law. And so it is that connection with the law that, that makes the Levitical priesthood inadequate, that makes them insufficient for the task that they have been given. It is because of the law that the Levitical priests were not able to make anything perfect. It was because of the law that, that perfection was not attainable under their work. And so let's think about that for just a moment. What is this perfection that was not attainable? What is the perfection that we needed but that we couldn't get under their service? I think we can sum it up this way, that that the perfection is the perfection of right relationship with God. It is a perfect relationship, a, a relationship where there is no longer any hindrance, where there is no longer any obstacle, where there is no longer any separation or, or brokenness. It is a relationship put right. A thing is perfect when it is as it is supposed to be. A thing is perfect when it is functioning as it is designed to function. And the Old Testament priests, they were there to mediate the people of God's relationship with their covenant Lord. But they were never able to bring them into a perfect relationship. A perfect relationship with God simply was not possible through their ministry. And that is a very big deal, not only for the Old Testament people of God, but it is a very big deal for for each and every one of us because it is relationship with God that we were created for. Think of Augustine's famous quote in the opening chapter of his Confessions. He says it beautifully. He he says that you have made us for yourself and we will remain restless until we find our rest in you. We were made for God. We were made for relationship with him. And the only place that we can find the rest, that we can find the peace, that we can experience shalom is in right relationship with him. So long as our relationship with him is broken, we are cut off from the flourishing and the the, the good that we were created for, the the good that that each of our hearts long for. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that even if you've never heard Augustine's quote, you felt the reality. You know what it is to to feel this desire for for something more. You, you know what it is to feel that you simply cannot find your rest elsewhere. All the destinations that you have, that you have gone to in order to find life have, have proven to be unsatisfactory. You simply cannot find life. You simply cannot find contentment. You, you cannot find that for which your heart longs anywhere in this finite universe. The created things that you turn to again and again and again, again and again and again, disappoint. It is an experience that we have all had. We we know this reality. We know what it is to be restless, to be discontent, to be dissatisfied. We know what it is to always be pursuing and never arriving, never finding, never knowing true rest. We know what it is for our hearts to always long for something more. 
There must be more. There, there must be something else. There, there must be something there that can satisfy. That feeling of discontentment, that is the reality of which Augustine speaks. It is the reality that, that shows us that we were created by God and we were created for God and we will remain restless until we rest in him. But the Old Testament priests weren't able to give us that rest. They were not able to to give us a perfect relationship with God. Perfection was not attainable under their service. The question is, why not? Why wasn't perfection attainable through the Levitical priesthood? As I've already said, perfection was not attainable because the Levitical priesthood was inseparably bound to the law. Remember what Paul says in in Romans chapter 10. He's describing the law. And he says, beginning in verse 5 of Romans chapter 10, he says, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. That's the standard. That's that's the law summarized. That's what the law does. The law says, do this and you will live. Of course, don't do this and you will die. Moses himself said it. Today I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. The law says the person who does the commandments shall live. What does that mean? Well, it means that so long as we are under the law, so long as we relate to God through the law, then a perfect relationship with God, a a relationship where there is no separation, where there is no brokenness, where we are perfectly at rest in Him, so long as we are under the law, that relationship is entirely dependent upon keeping the law. You must do this if you are going to live. Obviously, that's problematic. It's problematic because, not because there's, there's something wrong with the law. There, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is the very word of God. It is beautiful. It is precious. It is holy. It is righteous. It is, it is good. These are all words used to describe the law throughout the scriptures. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with us. The problem is with the weakness of our flesh, with the inclinations of our hearts. The problem is that we can't keep the law. We cannot abide by all things written in it. We, we cannot do it. And so therefore, the, the, the ministry of the Levitical priest, while it was good, in that, that they, could, they could offer sacrifices for our sins... Once they had wiped the slate clean, once they had dealt with our guilt, all they could do was send us back to the law. All they could do was was send us back to, to, to try again, to do better. But of course, that never works. Because we simply cannot keep the law 
And while the Old Testament priests could offer sacrifices for our sins, they could do nothing to strengthen us, to enable us, to set us free, to actually keep the law. So I reflected on the, the weakness of the whole Levitical system. I, it, it occurred to me that, that it's something like the experience that, that Sarah's had with, with physical therapists over the years. Sarah has some issues with her, her neck, and it, it, it causes her quite a bit of pain. And, and she has been to the physical therapist on and off for, for several years. And, and those physical therapists are, are able to do amazing things. They are able to treat her. They are able to, to relieve some of the tension in, in her muscles. And they are, they are able to relieve the symptoms that she is experiencing. But the problems always come back. Why? Because there's a structural issue that they just can't get at. There's something wrong with her neck that that causes the muscles to spasm. And and while they can treat the symptoms, they cannot get at the cause. And so if Sarah is going to benefit from physical therapy, she has to go again and again and again forever. Because the only relief that they can provide is, is temporary. It was the same way with the Old Testament priests. They were not able to to give us perfection because they were not able to address the underlying problem, the problem of our hearts, the problems of our flesh, the problems of our weakness. We have hearts that love the darkness. We have hearts that are inclined towards idolatry. We have hearts that, that want to grasp all things for ourselves. And while the Levitical priests could deal with the guilt of our sin, they could not deal with the problem. They could give us a second chance, but they could not give us perfection. And that's why we need a better priest. That's why seeing Jesus as a priest like Melchizedek is so important. Look again at verses 12 through 14. Notice what... The first thing that that the author tells us is that Jesus is not a Levitical priest. He is from an entirely different tribe. He is from the tribe of of Judah. And about that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Now that's an interesting historical fact, but but why is it significant? Why is it so significant that Jesus is of the tribe of Judah and not a a Levite? Well, notice what he says. It's, It's important because when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily also a change in the law. Jesus is not a priest tied to the Mosaic law. Jesus is a different kind of priest. He he is a priest like Melchizedek. And as a priest like Melchizedek, he is better in at least two ways that the author wants us to see. First, he is a forever priest. And the Levitical priests never were. We see this in verses 15 through 25. Look again at what he writes. He says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Again, think about what that, what that entails. Think about what that, that means for us. The Levitical priests, they served under the law. And they served according to bodily descent. That means that that you became a priest if your father was a priest. And your son became a priest if if you were a priest. There was a, a, a line established, a hereditary line. But think about what that implies. Think about why that was necessary. 
All of these careful regulations governing the succession of priests, they show us conclusively that the Old Testament priests were not forever priests. In fact, he he says this explicitly in verse 23. The Old Testament priests were prevented by death from continuing as priests. They died. Now, that may seem obvious, but, but that's significant. Because a temporary priest can offer only a temporary salvation. You may know that I have watched all of the Marvel movies multiple times with my kids. And, and, and so the, the Marvel movies are, are full of illustrations. And I think we see a picture of this. We, we see a picture of our need for our forever Savior in the third Thor movie. You may or may not like it, but in that third Thor movie, we learn that Thor's father, I can't remember his name, uh, Anthony Hopkins, whatever his name is, uh, you know, that Thor's father has been keeping Thor's evil sister at bay. He, he's had her trapped for, for thousands and thousands of years, so long that Thor didn't even know she existed. But now Thor's father is about to die. Because while he lives a really long time, he doesn't live forever. He doesn't have an indestructible life. And that's bad news for Thor. Because it means that the one that his father has been keeping at bay for thousands of years is about to be released. Again, to to wreak havoc on on Thor's homeland and on uh, the universe as a whole. It's a picture of our need. It's a picture of our need for a forever Savior. A temporary priest can offer a temporary salvation, but but we need a forever Savior because there will never be a point when we stand before God on our own two feet. You will forever, even in eternity, be wholly and entirely dependent upon God's grace. Forever you will stand before Him only by His mercy. And his grace and his mercy will be yours forever only in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus does not simply pick us up to to get us back on our own two feet and then send us off to to try again, to to try harder. No, he is our life And he is our life forever and ever, world without end. We will never stand on our own two feet. We will always and only ever stand in Christ by his grace. And that is why it is so important for us to see Jesus as our priest, not only by bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. There will never come a day when, like Thor's father, he dies and and lets the evil loose again. There will never come a day when his salvation will, will expire. He is our forever priest. This is the point that, that he's driving home in verses 24 and 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. And now notice, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You have a Savior who will always live to make intercession for you. You have a Savior who brings you to God, not so that you can try again 
but so that you can forever stand before him in right relationship in him, in Christ, and in Christ alone. He is your forever Savior, and that is why he is the source of a better hope, as the author says in verse 19. He doesn't just give us a second chance. If that's all that he gave us, he would simply be taking us back to the garden. He'd be putting us back in the position of Adam, a position from which Adam fell. But our salvation is so much better. It is an eternal reconciliation with the Father with no possibility of ever again falling under his wrath and condemnation because it is secured by the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. So he is our priest forever because he is a priest by the power of the resurrection, by the power of an indestructible life. But it's not only his indestructible life that makes him our forever priest. He is also our forever priest because of God's oath. We see this in verses 20 through 22. Look again at what the author says. He says, it was not uh, without an oath uh, that he became a priest. The former priest, yes, they, were, they became so without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we considered the the last verses of of chapter 6. But remember what we saw there. God's oath demonstrates the unchangeable nature of his purposes. It, it, It shows that he is committed and will not change his mind. That his purposes will not change. That not only will Jesus always make intercession for us, But God will always receive Jesus' intercession as enough, as sufficient. This is not the case with human rulers. Think of Pharaoh increasing the Israelites' quota of bricks. Yesterday, this was enough, but today I require this. I used to be satisfied with this much, but now I need more. It's the way of earthly kings. They they lord their power over their subjects, demanding more and more and, and more. God will never do that. God will never require more than what is given to us in Christ, what is ours through faith in him. And knowing that God has sworn that that he will never change his mind, that he will never raise the standard, that he will never move the bar, knowing that God has sworn and committed himself with an oath, gives us an eternal hope, a forever hope, that the Levitical priests could simply never offer. This is why the author says that that he is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to offer a complete, a perfect salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost because he is a priest forever by virtue of an indestructible life and the unchangeable promise of God. But Jesus is not only a better priest because he is a forever priest. He is also a better priest because he is a perfect priest. We see this in verses 26 through through 28. Notice again, he says, It was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. When he he says that it is fitting, he says it, it fits our need. It is fitting to our position. It is fitting to our desperation. We need a not only a forever priest, we need a perfect priest. 
And that is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus not only continues as a priest forever, but he offers a better sacrifice. The Old Testament priests, they offered daily sacrifices. And they offered them daily because they needed to be offered daily. They they needed to be repeated. And they needed to be repeated because of their weakness. They needed to be offered again and again and again because they simply couldn't deal with the actual problem. They could only deal with the symptoms. They couldn't actually make anything perfect. They could simply wipe the slate clean, as we said earlier. They could could simply give us another chance. But Jesus' sacrifice is different. Notice again what he says. He says, he has no need, like those priests, to, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. What you need to see is that Jesus offers a once for all sacrifice never to be repeated. Never to be repeated because it was truly effective. Never to be refuted because it accomplished that which it set out to do. It not only deals with the guilt of our sin, but it deals with sin itself. His sacrifice is a sacrifice that makes perfect forever. In Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in him. We have been forever set free from the guilt and the power of sin. We do not yet experience in full all that is ours in Christ. But we know, as we, as we have even sung this morning, that he who began this work will bring it to completion. That our, <clears throat> that our salvation is already ready to be revealed. There is no more left to do. There is no more left to accomplish. Even as Jesus himself said upon the cross, the work is finished. Salvation is complete. And having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Our reconciliation is perfect. World without end. And that is a salvation that the Old Testament priests were never able to offer. And so as we, as we wrestle with these things, as we think about these things, we, we recognize, yes, Melchizedek, he is a, a strange, obscure Old Testament figure. But hopefully we begin to see why the author thought it was so important for us to see Jesus as like him, as one after his likeness, as a priest in his order rather than the Levitical order. Jesus, as a priest like Melchizedek, is the promise and the guarantee of a better covenant. He gives a better hope, for he is our perfect forever priest. And the question you need to wrestle with this morning, the question you need to be asking yourself this morning is simply this, do I know this hope? Do I know Jesus to be my perfect forever Savior? Or am I simply trusting him for a second chance? What do you believe Jesus gives you this morning? What do you believe Jesus offers you this morning? Do you believe that he he wipes the slate clean so that you can try again? Do you believe that he gives you a second chance to do better? Do you believe that he sends you off to go prove yourself this time? 
Because somehow this will be different than last time and the time before that and the time before that and the time before that? Do you believe that you are still striving to establish your relationship with God upon your own merit? Trusting Him to to wipe the slate clean when you don't quite get it right. That is where you are this morning. If you are trusting Jesus for a second chance, then I can guess that you are exhausted. You are weary. You are close to giving up. You are disillusioned. You are disappointed. You are maybe even bitter and angry. Because you have come to see with clarity the impossibility of the task set before you. You are trying to make bricks without straw. And if that is you this morning, if you are trusting Jesus for a second chance, if you are seeing him as a Levitical priest who can wipe the slate clean and then send you back to the law, then you need to hear what Jesus actually says. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me. All you who labor, all you who are heavy laden with the law. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. The righteousness of the law says do this and live. The righteousness of faith says confess with your mouth that I am Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead and you will be saved. That's the gospel that a priest like Melchizedek is able to offer. Come rest because in him you have a better priest A priest like Melchizedek. A priest perfect forever. And because we have such a priest, a priest who not only gives us a second chance, but gives us perfect life. That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness and we rejoice in your provision. We thank you for giving us eyes to see Jesus as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Father, let this truth, let it dwell richly in our hearts and let this peace rule in our lives that we might be set free to live as your beloved children to the praise of your glory, both now and forevermore. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.